also how the Apostle Peter felt at the Last Supper. I just imagine him begging on the communion table as Jesus again talks about his death. It's not the best subject, right? Over the course of him following Jesus, he talks about dying and it just gets awkward and they get confused. And again, Jesus is telling him, I'm going to die. And where I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter becomes angry. And I just imagine him yelling into, into the dinner table and saying, Jesus, I will die for you. I will follow you wherever you go. Even if everyone else leaves you, like John, <laughs> and, you know, just start naming names. Um, I, will, I will follow you. And they go back and forth, and then Jesus stops the conversation. He says, Peter, before the rooster crows, three, before the rooster crows you will have denied me three times. They finish the night. They go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And for the first time in human history, first time in eternity, you have the will of the Father and the will of the Son depart. Jesus says, Father, if you will, take this cup from me, but not as your will, not as my will, but your will be done. Peter's eyes get heavy. Jesus comes to him. He's sleeping. Peter, wake up. Watch. Pray with me. He prays the same prayer to the Father, comes back. Peter's sleeping. Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The hours come. Judas walks to him betrays his friend with a kiss, and Peter is ready to go. He's like, dude, I told you I would lay down my life. Let's do this, right? So he pulls out his fisherman knife. He cuts the ear off of the high priest's servant, and he's ready for Jesus to go crazy, like, like you know, Superman status. Um, he saw Jesus walk on water. He's seen him grow out limbs. So he, Peter's like, if they chop off my arm, Jesus will grow it right back, you know? He's like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be Robin. You're going to be Superman because that's, that's how it works. And um, I think there's a superhero league where that's true. And then they, they, and he's ready. He's ready to take on this legion of soldiers. And Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. This isn't how I'm planning to conquer the earth. It's going to be through hearts, not through bloodshed. And all of them run away. They're like sheep scattered among wolves. Jesus walks up to the Sanhedrin court, and along the way, the soldiers punch him in the face and spit on him. They drag him to an interrogation. And we see Peter from far away just start creeping in, kind of following. And then there's this moment where he sees Jesus being accused. And he sees the soldiers standing next to the fire, warming their hands. And Peter goes to where the soldiers are, who still have Jesus' blood on their knuckles, warming them against this coal fire. Peter goes there. A servant girl walks to him, and he says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he says, I don't know the man. A few other people ask him about his accent that sounded Galilean, and he's like, I don't know this Jesus you're speaking about. A few more people question him, and he calls down curses from heaven. 
he, he swears oaths that he's never seen this man before. And all of a sudden, the rooster crows and he starts weeping because he wasn't the man he thought he was. The same person who swore that he would never leave his Messiah, never betray him, would lay down his life for him, couldn't even fess up to being his friend and swore that he never knew him. I wonder if we've had those breaks in our lives where we can't believe that we are the person we are. You know, like we, we, those moments where you step back and you're like, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just hurt someone that deeply. I can't believe I just committed that sin that I swore I would never touch, never do. Maybe my father did it, but I would never be like him and I'm doing that exact same thing. Peter had one of those like in the gutter moments. And I think we can all resonate with that. When I think about the worst moments in my life, it comes really easily. It's almost just like arm's length away. Well, what has been the worst moments, the darkest, the most evil moments for you? Because those are the moments that Jesus took onto Calvary. He was lashed on our behalf. Because when we think about those moments, don't we feel the weight of guilt and shame, and don't we almost want to self-inflict harm to make things right? Maybe it's just talking down on ourselves, like, dude, you're perverted, you're a slut, you're evil, you're worthless. Or maybe it's just allowing other people to abuse us. The beautiful part of the cross is that Jesus says, no, I will be tormented for you, I will take your accusations and I will take your death. And so he's nailed to the cross. He takes this crown of thorns on his head and a man who knew no sin became sin for us. A man who had been with God for eternity in this next moment cries, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he's isolated and separated from God Again, another tremendous moment in eternity so that we can be forever with God. He resurrects from the dead three days later. That's what we're celebrating. Mary meets him and then he sees the disciples. And then in John chapter 21, we have the verses, but you could, put, you could find it in your Bible as well. John chapter 21, verse 3, Peter's with the disciples early in the morning And he says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And I wonder if when we feel the severity of our sin, when we finish it and step back and see the evil it's caused, I know for me, sometimes I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to go back to my old life. Like, I'm done being Christian. I'm done being pastor. I'm done telling people. I'm going to rip that fish sticker off of my car. Now it's like the he greater than I decal and rip that off my car too. And um, I'm just going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what I used to do, my old lifestyle. And that's what Peter does. 
Instead of this radical, abandoned life and following Jesus, he just goes back to being a fisherman. And the disciples follow him. So they go out fishing. They, they don't catch anything. And early in the morning, in verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net of fish in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The disciples followed him in the boat towing guards. So we have, we have this really beautiful scene of Jesus recreating his first time meeting Peter. You know, Peter was just this fisherman. Jesus needed a boat to teach the crowd. Peter let him borrow it. But then afterward, he does this thing where Peter's fishing and he can't catch anything three years ago. So Peter's, Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And he does. And he catches all these fish. And he goes on to shore. And he falls in front of Jesus. He says, depart from me. I'm wicked. And Jesus says, no, I'm not leaving. You follow me. And they start their discipleship journey. And here Jesus recreates that beautiful moment of meeting Peter for, for the first time. I think for me... I remember the times where I failed Jesus hard, where I hurt some people, where I do some evil things. And, and I'm always waiting for Jesus just to lay down the gauntlet, you know, judge me, tell me I'm not his kid anymore. But instead, he pulls me back into those first moments where we met, into his forgiveness, into the cross, into our first dates. I wonder what that place is for you. I wonder if you can remember a space where God is so real and you fell in love with him for the first time and you knew he was present and that he forgave you. Was it a worship set? Was it a retreat? Maybe for some of you, it was our Good Friday service and for others of you, it was like 15 years ago. But you remember when Jesus met you and he wants to take you back there. Me and Nina, we met at, at downtown LA. Bless you. <laughs> That's how I sneeze too. We met, uh, but louder. Uh, we met at downtown LA, and it was a friend's birthday party. And I remember seeing her for the first time. She was figuring out like which side to put her headband. And I was like, it doesn't matter because you're gorgeous. Like you could have that headband hanging around your your like wrists, and you would be the cutest thing I've ever seen. But instead of saying that, I just looked at her really creepily. And um, she looked back at me, and she was like, dude, he has a really tight shirt on, and he's probably cocky. And so we had different first impressions. Um, finally, we go downstairs after the meal, and she introduces herself to me, and I thought it was like the most magical thing I've ever experienced. And then we are supposed to carpool to like this ice cream shop, but I was put in the wrong car. So I ditched that car, and I sat next to her, 
and I told her my five best jokes and my three favorite stories. And then she asked me what I do, and I said, I'm a pastor. And she's like, I'm a pastor too. And I was like, I'm a pastor too. And then I gave her like my verbal pastoral resume of all the places I've preached, not knowing that 33 on her list was not a pastor. And I think she still holds to that, you know, <laughs> like she never wanted to date or marry a pastor. So she turns to the next guy and she's like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a vice principal of a school. And she's like, you're really young to be a vice principal. <laughs> like, isn't your school like 30 kids and you're more of a vice teacher, you know? So I shut him down and we started talking again. I told her best jokes, six through 10. And then um, we got off of the car. We walked to the ice cream parlor. My hand like barely misses her as we walked down. And then we stopped and I told her, I'm going to buy your ice cream. So you know this is our first date. And, um, and I got game. But I only brought 20 bucks that day. I, I forgot my wallet at home. And so I spent like 17 and a half on Korean barbecue. I'm like rubbing quarters in my pocket, hoping that they'll like mate and have children. And then I'm like doing hardcore arithmetic in my head and multiplication on tax. And I told him no sprinkles, no cone, just the ice cream. If I can't afford mine, I want to pay for hers. We got through it. Five cents left in my pocket. We sit down. Yeah, I know. And I just do like ISO defense where there's like a row of friends, but I have her in the corner and I'm like this. And then uh, an hour later, I get her number. And six and a half later, we have a child. So I know. Ask me for advice. Um, There's still times where we go to downtown LA and we uh, hang out at that Korean barbecue shop and I stare at her creepily. And then we go to the ice cream parlor and she pays for my ice cream because that's romantic. And then, um, and we just remember, we just remember that first time, that first time we met. It almost felt like a coincidence, but also that was meant to be. And we just kind of fall in love again, that first new couple, googly eyes, puppy, you know, dog, like, man, I can't believe I found you sort of thing. And I wonder when the last time you got to do that with Jesus, the last time you got to walk and remember and go play by play over him Coming into your life, you knew, knowing he was real, you looking into his eyes and having his love overwhelm you, forgive you, hold you, inspire you. What's that first moment for you? For Peter, it was this beautiful scene of Friends, haven't you any fish? No. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Peter's so overwhelmed that he jumps into the water to get to Jesus like two minutes prior. But I just imagine him running onto shore as fast as he can. And then it says in verse 9, when they landed, they saw 
a fire of burning coal with fish on it and some bread. I think as Peter was running to Jesus, kind of remembering his first moments with him, there's like this hard stop and drop in his heart when he sees the burning coals because there's this other memory, memory that floods back. Him denying Jesus three times with soldiers. Him saying that he doesn't know him. He's never met him. He's not my friend. And now Jesus is sitting there with these coals. And I think what I love about Jesus is how he's able to hold our best and our worst moments. Like he's able to relive how we fell in love with him and how he forgave us and how we found him for the first time. But he's able to also stand with us, sit with us, meet us in our failures too. He doesn't just cut our life in half and say, I'm with you here, but when you mess up, I'm gone. He was with Peter in his worst failures, and then they're eating fish together. And he kind of brings that fish scene and that betrayal coal scene, and he holds them together, and he's present in both. And I know that for some of us, we need Jesus to be present in the coal parts of our lives. We need to start inviting him in and saying, hey, would you sit with me in the most evil moments too? And let me find you there. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net onto shore. It was awkward. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the nets were were not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he, raised, he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think he's asking about the fish. Because that's as good as it gets for a fisherman, 153 large fish in one day. And he's like, do you want to spend your life going back to the mundane, going back to your false loves, going back to earthly pursuits? Or do you want to love me? You could go back and be a fisherman if you want. It's kind of doing life as you used to. Getting drunk, you know, chasing after guys and girls, the perfect body image, money. You could go and do that. And it's just 153 fish. Or you can love me. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I think the most amazing part of the crucifixion is how Jesus wipes our debt clean, how he forgives us of our worst sins. But the power, the power is in the resurrection. The forgiveness is in the crucifixion, but the power and new life and new beginnings is in the resurrection. And that's what's happening in this scene. Jesus takes the worst thing Peter's ever done in his entire life, and he doesn't just create the moment they fell in love. He recreates the worst moment as well. But this time he wasn't sitting with soldiers denying Christ. He was looking into Jesus' eyes, and he gets to flip the script. He gets to turn the tables. He gets redemption. Do you love me? I love you. I mean, imagine how healing and powerful that was for Peter, how life-giving it was for Jesus to take the same moment of denial and turn it into a moment of love. And I, that's what I want for you this Easter. That's what I want you to experience in the life that he gives us. That you would find those same moments where you failed Christ, where you failed yourself, where you stepped back and you said, I can't believe I did that. And then as you follow Jesus and fall in love with him and choose him, as you see him hold you in your worst moments, you would find yourself slowly growing and gaining life and the places of death would start to turn. And you would watch your depression become hopeful. You would watch your anxiety wash over you and you would start to find peace one day at a time. That when your parents or your sister makes you mad and you, you exploded on them and you said the worst things you could to your wife, as you find life in Jesus m- moment after moment, day after day, year after year, you'll be brought into those same moments where you can explode and say hurtful things, but instead, instead you forgive. Instead you're patient. Instead you extend grace. When you used to fall into lust, you go into that same moment. And because of Jesus' resurrection, because you're finding life in him, you rip your eyes off of the screen or off of the girl and you respect her. That instead of moments of pride and judgment in your head as you walk around a room comparing yourself to other people, as you journey with Jesus, you go into those same moments and you feel compassion and you love. That's what Jesus does. That's what the resurrection is about. He brings us into those same moments, into those same sins, and we start to see life because we're doing it with him. This is probably my favorite part of the passage Jesus says, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, he's talking to Peter, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is such a powerful passage because he tells Peter, you know the man that you wished you were? You know the man who said you would follow me to to your death and that when everyone else deserted me, you would not? At the end of your life, that's who you'll be. You will get there. I think we all imagine ourselves better than we are. And there's those points where who we want to be, who we say we are, who we're convicted, we, we are, we, we, there's a break from that and we fail. And I, what I see with Peter, what I see in the resurrection is Jesus is saying, as you follow me and find life in me, that same person you will become. And Peter becomes the person he talked about at communion. In church history, we find him preaching boldly the gospel, going to prison for it, getting beaten for it, being chased out of the city for it, for it. And one day he's executed. And not only any execution, he's crucified. In church history, we learned that Peter is crucified for the name of Jesus. But before he's nailed to the cross, he looks at his captors and he says, I am not worthy to die the same way my savior died for me. Crucify me upside down. And that's how he gives his life. He gives his life the way he said he would on the communion table. And even then, even at communion, Jesus tells Peter, you can't follow me now, but you'll be able to follow me later. Man, this is a long journey, guys, this whole Christian following Jesus thing. And some of you guys, all of us, and myself, we're going to mess up pretty hard along the way. We're going to face plant. But if we're willing to say, Jesus, redeem those moments. If we're willing to say, Jesus, forgive me. If we're willing to listen to his voice and after just massive failures, when he says, he doesn't ask about those failures, right? He says, in this moment, do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you continue to serve me and feed my sheep? If you can just in this moment choose those things, you'll become the person that I've created you to be. Just give it a few years. Just give it a few decades. I hope that today those would be your three things. When Jesus says, do you love me? You'll be able to search your heart and make a decision to love him. When he asks you, will you feed my sheep? You'll say, man, we're all serving wounded. We're all serving as sinners. But he tells us to keep serving his people. And third, will you, when he says, follow me, will you just obey that? And I just love how simple a command that is. That following Jesus just means taking one more step from where we are. I can't teleport 
to become the pastor I want to be in the next 40 years. I can't do it. You know, this is, this is it. <laughs> this is going to be my best sermon in the next six months. You know, like this is it, right? I live pretty honestly, and this is all I got. But what I know in my heart is that I love Jesus. I want to keep serving even if I'm wounded. And I just want to take that next step with him. And that's it. And, and if I can trust him and keep making those decisions, I'm excited to see who I'll be in 40, 50 years. And if you can trust him, and this moment, just say, God, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I'm excited to see what those decisions, one moment after another, brings in the next 40 to 50 years for you. God, we come to you this morning, and would you just kind of recreate those times where we fell in love with you? That's always your first approach to us. That's always your first step is this open arms. In our worst moments, you still love us. It's crazy. And after you hold us, after you bring us in, after you let us know that you haven't rejected us and we're still your kid, I pray that we would hear your gentle voice, do you love me? It's that simple. Maybe this morning I just want to, I just want you to hear that question and answer it. I just want you to hear Jesus asking, do you love me? Could you just answer loudly in your heart as Jesus asks, do you love me?